Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody and welcome to our weekly spoiler review episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, here from the Geek oh, Buddies. Hey. hey! One of us should have showed up to animate it. If I if I had the ability to do that, I would have done that. But uh, kind of feel. I kind of feel like I show up animated every week, to be honest with you. That's actually a fair point for sure. Well, today, if you haven't seen the title of this video, uh, we are going to look at, we're going to review both episodes six and seven, uh, Lost in Translation, and those old scientists uh, here on this episode. They are both spoiler reviews, so if you haven't uh, watched either one of the episodes, um, then go and watch them and come back and hang out with us. But basically, we wanted to catch up. Because Comic-Con's been crazy, scheduling, all this kind of stuff. So they dropped the surprise seventh episode at Comic-Con. We're just recovering after our Comic-Con discussion last night. If you guys haven't watched that discussion, it is up on the channel for you all to watch. And will be up on the podcast feed as well. Or is up on the podcast feed by the time you watch this. But Michael, yeah, let's um, let's break this thing down. We'll start with Lost in Translation, episode six uh, here of season two of Strange New Worlds. Interesting stuff going on here with Uhura. This is very much a Uhura-focused episode. We talked about how every member of the crew had been uh, getting their own uh, episode, in essence. And this one finally focused on Uhura and her journey, her emotional journey, her unwillingness to confront the deaths that have experienced in her life, that she's experienced in her life. And then she gets used by these organisms to transmit uh, um, messages here to stop them from killing these organisms unknowingly killing these organisms uh by the way by the way that they're using the deuterium so um uh, your thoughts on this overall episode here lost in translation i mean it's hard because it's a great episode but then i watched those old scientists and it completely (laughs) blew me away so i'm going to try and focus on what's good about this one but uh this episode had a lot going on i mean they've already shown us and we know we have a musical episode coming down the road this season is all about let's just make each episode 100% its own thing with its own vibe. So we're going to do the legal drama. We're going to do the time travel. They're just going down the line and doing it. And this one was definitely sort of like a little bit of horror vibes, but that classic, classic sci-fi, classic Star Trek. Look, we're trying to do something technologically and we're hurting aliens and they're communicating with us in a way that we don't understand. And it turns into weird horror shit. It's the same as like Kirk and Spock and everybody seeing characters from Alice in Wonderland back in the original series. You know, (laughs) 
just got you get those episodes where you're like we're going to do something that's really out there but then wrap it around to be here's the sci-fi thing so that part pretty straightforward really interesting that we got more about Ahura's backstory Mm -hmm. i really love how they tied the fact that she was having a really hard time uh with the fact that hammer died in season one and that that tying back into how she hasn't ever really faced the death of her parents right. and that the solution to this whole thing was walking through it. You took a really great sci-fi uh, trope yes. and you wrapped it around a very emotional story. But then yeah. in addition to that, they bring Kirk in, they yeah. pick up the threads of the Laon Kirk episode in a yeah. really like really subtle, but really sweet and kind of heartbreaking way. Mm. Also, we get the very first time that Kirk meets Uhura in yes. this timeline. And then we end it with Kirk and Ahura and Spock sitting around a table for the very first time. So that is just like a geek, beautiful moment. Like watching the three of them, seeing that first handshake, like they're just just doing a really deft job, I think, of they walk walk this line between we're doing our own thing, we've got our own vibe, we're making this crew of the Enterprise its own thing, Mm -hmm. but we also know where we're going and we're – putting all the pieces there. So I thought this was just a, a lovely, lovely episode. Yeah. I liked this episode. Um, it got a little too hippy dippy for me. I have to say this idea of, you know, these organisms that are in this, uh, deuterium that they're trying to use that it's supposedly for fuel. And this is a refinery. They can't seem to get it to work. Uh, and we've got, uh, this space, uh, this, uh, sorry, Federation officer Ramon, who is, uh, um, uh, sabotaging everything because he's being influenced by these organisms because they're trying to stay alive. And so this idea of like, well, if you use this thing, you're destroying their world. And it's like, okay, I guess Pike is very malleable about this stuff. Pike is always like, you know, well, well, just find a new place to build a refinery. Like, what do you, money grows on trees? Like, I, it's just interesting how they deal um, with certain... There's no, there's no money in the Oh, yeah, well, you know what I don't use money. <laughs> But the Federation doesn't use money, John. So yeah, the point of fact, whatever they use, they it, don't even need it to grow on trees. It doesn't point. matter. It's still time and effort of people putting together a whole new thing uh, and what have you. So it's just an interest. It was a little bit hippy dippy, but I did enjoy the horror stuff you were mentioning, uh, uh, Mike. The uh, zombie stuff that we thought was going on here with Emmer. Where are we going with that? But then we got this, which is what we always have in every one of these episodes for Strange New Worlds. We really have this, like, for lack of a better term, this humanist approach to things, this idea of confronting death. And it's ironic that Kurt is in an episode about confronting death because that's what happens to him in the original series in those movies, right? This idea that the way we confront death is as important as as how we confront life. So having that part of that element be here in this, I thought was really interesting. And Kirk being the one that's kind of guiding her through this kirk being the one that's you know telling her you've you've got to deal with death being a federation officer this is part of it or you might as well go and do another job so you've got to come to terms with it and that little push that little instigation for her to really you know confront these things and look at these things and look dealing with death is not easy dealing with death of a family member is terrible remembering those feelings it's tough you want to hide sometimes but you've got to confront it because the only way out is through and we see uhura do that and that ending shot with Hemmer smiling at her on the bridge in the form, of course, being influenced by those organisms there, bringing that image to her mind. Man, it got me emotional. It got me emotional. So no matter the hippy-dippy save all the organisms type of stuff, which I love about Star, Star Trek. Don't get me wrong. I do enjoy it. Does it get a little too much sometimes? Yes, but I still enjoy it. 
but I got a really nice emotional touch at I, the end with the smile he gave. I him. do find it. I do find it funny that you classify <laughs> saving a sentient species from death as hippy dippy. I mean, the, the, like the, this look, wasn't like it we wasn't kill like animals oh, to live all the time. We kill chickens, cows. I mean, we seem to have no problem doing it and eating our burgers. Yum, will, yum, 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 yum. No problem. I will tell so, you, you know? I will tell you right now that if yes. a cow psychically reached out to me and had me seeing visions because it was like, please stop hurting me, I'm gonna fucking not eat the cow. Well, there's documentaries that'll show you the cows are trying to say don't kill it. No, you're right. But I do think, look, I mean, I've said this before, like. I had yeah. I not had I not grown up my entire life eating meat, uh, I probably wouldn't eat meat because the more documentaries and the more things you read about animals and yeah, their levels yeah. of intelligence, particularly like pigs and some other animals, you're like, sure. yeah, it's probably not the best idea. So maybe I'm too hippy dippy. <laughs> but uh, but yes, I I I I see no issue with the uh, let us not kill. Yeah. The aliens that are asking us to please oh, not kill them. Of course, in a utopian world, you don't want to do that. And of course, that's been, as I said, that's a hallmark of Star Trek. So I did like that. What did you uh -huh. think of? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. I've never, I mean, it may go too far in certain directions for me. And we're going to get to that <laughs> lower deck stuff in the next episode. It may, but, I, but in the end, I still enjoy all of it. I still enjoyed this episode very much. I put this one, though, in the episode, in the first episode, like it belongs in that box. As opposed I, to the other standalone awesome episodes we've had this season, but that isn't a negative. It's just that it's in that kind of box and in, in the way it approached its story. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. I, I mean, you're, I I don't disagree with like when you look at some yeah. of the other episodes that have come out this season. I think not because this one is bad. It's just mm. that other ones are so good. I think it does go yeah. further down on the list. But I think basically what it is, they took like they took a really nice Ahura story about yeah. loss and grief. And by the way, I think they've done a really nice job of fleshing Ahura out. I think yes. in season one, you kind of got, okay, well, you're Ahura and you're new, but we didn't get a lot. But now like, learning about the past with her family, seeing that yeah. she's kind of this workaholic that can't relax, that really wants to prove herself and is all like, like they've just added some nice flavors to her character that really sort of like round her out as her own unique, this version of Ahura yeah. being her own unique individual, which I think this episode did a nice job of. But then, you know, this episode, it was just, this was one of those connective episodes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is an episode where you had this A story that was a solid, what's going on with Ahura, she's seeing shit, what does it mean episode. Yeah. But then along the way, you got some really nice Kirk and Sam stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and like their issues and their competitive issues because of their dad. And right. you got some really nice Pelia and number one stuff Pelia on the Una. station. That was great. Where, where, where Pelia's like, what's your problem with me? And Una's like, you gave me a C. And she was like, you're a, you're fucked up about your friend's death. Like yeah. that was all, that was all really nice stuff too. Yeah, so you, and then, like I said earlier, like the on Kirk stuff, like I think mm -hmm. with the moment that we saw the end of that episode, yeah. which still might be my favorite episode of the season. Um, the moment that Kirk shows up on the Enterprise, you're like, here we go. And yeah. that whole scene between him and La'an, where she was so awkward, and then as they're walking away, he's like, hey, don't forget, you still owe me that drink. Like, I was just like, every little yeah. gay romance nerd part of my body, <laughs> like, I clutched my pearls and fell on the couch. Like, I was just like, oh, like, it was so good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It went because we also had the chapel and Spock and this idea of yep. do we tell the Federation about our relationship and this fear that if we 
if we look at it for too long, it'll disappear. If we if we make it, a, a, if make people aware of it, it'll disappear. And certainly, that's Chapel's greatest fear, as in yeah. terms of their relationship, right? And so they have that. And I love the fact that they're playing 3D chess. I love the fact that Kirk looks over and knows that Spock was um, two moves away from being checkmated because if you know the original series, that is like one of the first things you see Spock doing in the original pilot is playing 3D chess. So Kirk and uh, um, uh, Spock have played that uh, ad nauseum in the original series and in the books and whatever. So it was great. Nice little reference there. Um, I love that Uhura was like accusing Kirk of hitting on her, which I thought was hilarious because, of course, everyone knows the reputation of James Kirk in the Star Wars, uh, uh, Star Trek franchise, rather. And and then seeing, I, I just like that we got more. And then the Una and Pelia stuff, Mike, that hit me out of left field because Pelia has not been the easiest person, whereas Hemmer, who was contentious last season, but you could sense that it was like he's just his way. Do you know what I'm saying? Pelia is much more fluid, and you can almost see the the the. the Bobbles hanging off of her. You could almost smell the patchouli. You could almost like this you is know, where this is be. literally the episode where you hate hippies. Yeah, you, this is the John no, Roca hates hippies exactly. episode. You literally are like you literally are like hippie dippy saving the aliens, and Pelia smells like patchouli. Yeah, That's your review. Them. That's I, your review I, of this episode. Put, it up on there. put me on a, sp- on a Federation poster, just <laughs> pointing to that. But no, I, I but I liked that. I liked that that Una called said to her, you know, you're. You're a space hippie. And then Pelia just rolled with the punches because a woman of that age who has had to go through all the things that she's gone through in the Federation. And she says, I've been called more names than the stars, but space hippie is a new one. And she rolls with it and she doesn't take it personal. And then in the shit, in the shuttle, yeah. she, you know, she tells you, and it's because you look at me and see your friend. And I have had that experience. I know what you're going through. And if you need to say it's about the sea, and you don't need me to contradict you, and you need to have that, I will give that to you. So it's really very, very sweet how much the characters in this show, Mike, care about each other, create space well, for each other. And it's a good thing, man. And I think, look, and I think this is where we're, we are, uh, we we're talking about this down at Comic Con, but we were talking mm. about a lot of shows that we love, like The Office, like yeah. Parks and Rec, had very rough first seasons. And it wasn't until their second right. seasons that they really got their footing. Now, I don't yeah. think Strange New Worlds had a rough first season. I think Strange New Worlds' first season was delightful. I but I think Strange New Worlds' first season po- focused a ton on Pike. Yes. And all the other characters got some play. But Pike and Spock got the lion's share. And it was more about look at all these cool situations. And yeah. I, you can really feel this season that they were like, guys, we, let's let's dive Deep on Chapel, deep on yeah. Laan, deep on Mabenga, deep on Ortegas, deep on Ahura. And we're really getting into the nitty gritty of who these characters are. Yeah. While at the same time, every episode kind of being its own genre of the week episode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, like I said, I, I totally agree with you that I don't think that in the big scheme, when we rank all the 10 episodes of season two, yeah. I still think this one's going to be closer to the bottom end, but yeah. Only because everything else has been so strong. I really, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah. I love the whole sci-fi trope of what you know, aliens that are so different from us. Yeah, like the entire concept and and Uhura being sort of communications being Uhura's thing. Yeah, the yeah. fact that this was a completely new type of emotional communication. Yeah. Um, where her, you know, like the whole concept of the brain being sort of overloaded 
and not no. knowing how to process and having to like just okay what's really happening what are they saying let me push through and her figure and the fact that it was Ohora who figured that out yeah uh it just fits really well for me into this is what a show or movie that shows a younger version of a character should do yeah like show yeah. me show me the beginnings of this character becoming who they become yeah um and and the fact that Ahura is very smart the fact that Ahura speaks so many languages all great but yeah. actually watching real time this thing happening where i don't know what's going on realizing its communication and then doing her own version of translating oh yeah I saw this zombie. They were they're in pain. I, you know, yeah. I attacked myself because uh, we are attacking them. Like her watching her sort of put it together, yeah. I thought was really just good, solid writing. Yeah, it's a mixture of things, right, Mike? Like you said, the horror element is here, but there's also a mystery to solve, right? So you've got the mystery aspect of this all, and then you've got the one language that she can't speak is the language of grief. The yeah. irony of that. So she's got to figure out how to speak that language. You know, what's a good, what's uh, such, I forget the line. I can't remember if it's a movie or TV show. It's like, you can you speak all these languages, but you can't speak the one that connects to people, you know? And so having her have to learn how to speak the language of grief and understand it and master it like she's mastering the language that's being spoken to her through these images that she's getting is such a nice, interesting dual journey that she's going on in this episode and uh, does a wonderful job performing those moments as well when she's figuring this all out and putting it all together um, and then finding her power and her strength in yeah. that and confronting that and then showing the pictures as well to Kirk later on. Yeah. Good, yeah. I think, yeah. And I think the scene with her and Kirk, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just both Celia Rose Gooding and Paul Wesley do yeah. such an amazing job in that scene. And yeah. the fact that it's this whole scene where she's kind of, it's everything that you just said, but like mm -hmm. she's facing the fact that she doesn't deal well with death. That right. she doesn't, that she can't really face grief, and it's like I don't know, I don't know if I can be a Starfleet officer if I can't do that. And then Kirk, and then Kirk is like, you know, you can't, right? You might not be able, like, and gives this great speech about it's us versus death. We can die at any time, and right now for you, death is winning. It took away your parents, it took uh. away your friends, and like you, and you need, like, you can't let death win. You need to go through this, yeah. uh, and to then have that final moment of her communicating with the aliens, ending up on the ship and literally facing the death of her family, yeah. like both, you know, like she's emotionally and physically, literally looking at it yeah. and then getting to the end where she's then showing Kirk the pictures of her family and talking about them really fondly. It's just, yeah. it's, it's that great thing where you're like, you're basically doing an episode on this is how you deal with grief. Yeah, basically. But you're doing it with, to your point, hippy dippy aliens <laughs> and cameos and the first time that Kirk and Spock and Ahura meet. So there's all this other stuff going on that if you're just enjoying the sci-fi-ness of this show, there's a ton to enjoy. Right. But at the heart of it, it's like, hey, dealing with grief is hard and sometimes it's scary, but we have to do it. And so here's how you should do it. And that's Yeah, also uh, we should talk the Kirk and Sam situation. We haven't mentioned that yet in this uh, section of the review for this episode. And, and you know, this, this thing that Sam, Kirk shows up and See, Sam, you could see they're two different, uh, two differently constructed human beings, even though they're brothers, two completely different points of views. But you see that there is this father figure that looms heavy over both of them. Kirk, uh, James wanting to do um, what he needs to do in order to, you know, kind of be looked at by his father with a little more reverence because he had a tough time getting along with his father, which we find out Pike had those issues as well in the next episode. And Sam himself, Sam being a little jealous, a little sibling rivalry 
And even when he comes back late, and he bec- and, and Sam comes into use here with help helping Uhura make this connection and figure out what's going on. But later, when Sam goes to apologize to Kirk uh, and say, or to James rather, and say, you know, um, I get it, and I and I'm proud of you, first officer, doing it younger than anybody else, including our father. You know, I'm proud of you. And then he waits for James to give him that apology back, and James doesn't. And that makes so much sense in what you know about James Kirk. Yeah. And this back and forth with him and Sam. So there's still the sibling rivalry, even though um, they you can tell that they do care about each other. So it was an interesting thing to give Sam a little bit more here to do in this episode as well, which I thought was a nice surprise in this one. Um, Dean uh, Dan Jeanette doing a nice job here with Sam. And, and to your point, I mean, this is, again, this is just very good, tight storytelling. In an yeah, episode yeah, yeah. that has all these other things going on, first scene is show up, find out Kurt got promoted, got promoted even faster than their dad. Yeah. And Sam yeah. is pissed about it. Yeah. Sam's Sam, jealous. Because, yeah. because Sam is like jealous. And also like, you're making me look bad. And right. Kurt's dad loves like, you more. That's, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's a you thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then clearly Sam is feeling that sort of like, even though he's doing what he loves and he loves being a xenobiologist. Yeah. Um, feeling like there's not a lot as much worth there. Like it's not as showy as Kirk. Kirk yeah. is like the son that's doing all the stuff. So the fact that Uhura has to go to Sam to help them figure this out yeah. kind of says, hey, what Sam does is important. Right. And Validate. then that yeah. and it's valid and you need xenobiologists. Yeah. You Kirk Kirk wasn't going to be able to solve this on his own. They needed Sam. And then Sam kind of comes back and has that great sort of like, all right, I thought about it. I calmed down. You guys came to me. We did this whole thing. I'm going to write a paper on these aliens. I'm feeling really good about shit. Hey, I'm sorry. And then Kirk is like, cool. (laughs) Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, In some ways, Kirk's emotionally progressive and in some ways emotionally stunted. So very interesting combo. It makes sense because of Kirk. But it is interesting because like, you know, usually, uh, usually I'd be on the side of, you know, that was very nice. I'm sorry too. Yeah. In Kirk's case here, and look, Kirk is a little emotionally stunted. We've all seen the movies. We know where he goes. Sure. Sure. Um, but I, I don't know that he really has anything to apologize for. I here. agree with you because this was all Sam's issue. Kirk's like, like how was, he even says to him, "Why does my ambition make you upset? What is that all about?" Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm always very quick to say this is where Kirk was wrong, but in this case, I think he didn't really do anything wrong. It happens. You know, you, you, if you, if you desire for more and other people don't desire for more, sometimes those people who don't desire for more get upset at your desire for more. So it's a weird thing to navigate when you're confronted with that in life for sure. But the other part of this Kirk stuff we should talk about, uh, as you mentioned, he meets, Spock for the first time. He meets Pike in person for the first time, right? Which is really interesting, and meets Uhura. So, Kirk has become a much more present character in this season, Mike. So, what do you anticipate is going on here, and just laying the groundwork for this kind of stuff in this uh, in the way that they're doing it here in the show? You know, I don't know because it's not just. So, look, if you really think about it. Kirk, who you kind of thought, oh, they're going to put keep Kirk in reserve. We're not going to yeah. overuse Kirk because you don't want Kirk to overshadow Pike. You don't want Kirk yeah. to take over things. But Kirk now has met Uhura, helped yeah. her solve something, has met Spock for the first time, and has met Pike in person, and has a weird sort of relationship with La'an. Yes, yes, yes. Which, based on the 
trailer that's online right now for the musical episode seems like that's a thread that they are going to continue using. Oh, we're getting in bed. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, so, so Kirk has relationships <laughs> with a lot of people on the Enterprise that's not his Enterprise yet. Yeah. Um, and look, I think that everything they're doing with him right now, I'm enjoying. It does run the risk of overshadowing some things so it's yeah. gonna but but at the same time so far this season i feel like we're in really good hands with them yeah so it's one of those things where you can see those warning signs of like maybe too much kirk is not a good thing yeah um but at the exact same time i'm so enjoying all of this that i'm kind of like ah, i'm don't just don't mess it up keep it in the exact keep stay in this lane and i think we'll be good and i wonder if we're moving towards something where and I you know Star Trek right now is so in flux. We've never had more Star Trek, but then, you know, uh, they just what moved? They canceled Pro or they moved Prodigy off Paramount Plus, and they're trying to figure out where to put a, a season two. Discovery is coming to an end. We supposedly had this Academy thing, but now that's not probably happening. The feet, the films are is up in not? the air, huh? Is Academy not happening? I don't know what's going on with Academy because I don't know. Paramount Plus is removing stuff. Maybe yes, maybe no. So it's kind of up I in the air a little bit. But, oh, yeah, go ahead. Would you want to? No, no, continue. I'll, yeah. I'll, I will respond once you've made your list. Great. I just want to say, like, I don't know where we're going with this. Is there a possibility? Because Pike even brings it up next episode, which we'll get to. The the idea that Pike, so, we know what's going to happen to Pike. We know what it leads to, the menagerie and all of that. We know where we're going. Is there a possibility that Strange New Worlds continues into the original series? And it becomes the other episodes of the original series, the other adventures that you didn't see, will Star Trek fans lose their minds if this Kirk eventually takes over the Enterprise with people standing in for the original crew? We've got most of the original crew um, uh, already on the ship. So it would be Nurse Chapel, Spock, Uhura. Uh, we don't have a Scotty. We don't have a Sulu. A Chekhov comes in the second season. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is where they're going with this. And I'll tell you this, the more I spend time with Paul Wesley's Kirk, I might not be, yeah. a, a, I, I might not be a no on this. So I think a couple of things. One, I don't think Star Trek is it like, look, I think what happened to Star Trek prodigy is a crime because yeah, people love that. Star Trek prodigy is a very solid. It's very different. But once you get into those characters and you get into the story they're telling, they do mm -hmm. some great great sci-fi episodes i yes. highly recommend if you if you haven't if you're like oh prodigy's not my thing i watched the first couple episodes i didn't really get into it watch a couple more episodes and i'm telling you it's it's really great star trek mm -hmm. but if you really think about where we're at with star trek right now movies aside because who the hell knows what they're doing over yeah, there yeah um star trek tv is better than we've ever been and with the exception of yeah. prodigy Look, yeah, Discovery's ending, but it's dis it's ending after five seasons. That's a decent run I agree. for any show. There's like, so I don't think that Star Trek, yeah. I don't think the Star Trek Discovery ending after five seasons is a well that didn't work. <laughs> I mean, you you got to give Star Trek Discovery credit for sort of relaunching Star Trek TV, and I think they did a great job. Yeah. As wobbly as Picard was, boy, did they stick that landing yeah. to the point that everyone is just begging for Star Trek Legacy, which. Yeah. I would be shocked if we don't at least get a Star Trek legacy movie the same way we're getting that Section 31 movie with Michelle yes. Yeoh. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Star Trek Academy is still happening. It looks like it's happening. The announcement was in March. I guess I had my wires crossed on that. Alex Kirkman being yeah. one of the co-showrunners for it. So, yeah. And so 
Did I, is that all of them? Did I get everything? Discovery? Oh, and then Lower Decks is going Lower into Decks. its fourth season. Yeah. And Lower Decks is very, very funny. So, like, you've got Prodigy, you know, wherever it's at, but you mm -hmm. had two Star Trek animated series, one of which is still moving forward, the other which is sort of in flux. Yeah. You've got uh, one show ending, another show going strong. And then to your point, yeah. um, I, I remember when they cast Young Kirk. Yes. You were very like, I don't know about How this many guy. more times can we get? Yeah, I was. I was, yeah. And look, I don't think they should rush it. Like, I really yeah. like this crew, and I am super down to see this crew for a few more seasons continue to have their adventures, and I think they deserve it. Yeah. But the hardest things to do in recasting the Star Trek, uh, they've got Spock and Kirk are the two of the hardest. I'd say Bones is up there, but you've already got a Ahura that we all like. You've got a Spock we all like, and you've got a Kirk that we're liking more and more every day. So if you did another two, three seasons of this cast of Strange New Worlds, and then you all of a sudden flipped Strange New Worlds to be retelling some of the classic Trek stories with a new spin on things, I don't think people would be that upset about it. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, so we'll see. One thing I want to ask you about this episode, and then we'll, we'll hit some Easter eggs and, and, and finish up our review of this episode, but some of the things that I've seen online and some people commenting on our reviews, and by the way, thank you to everybody who watches our reviews. I know it's not getting the biggest views, but you guys are ardent viewers hey, every week coming in for our reviews, which we appreciate. We're glad, we're glad that you're here. And yes, yes I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you right now. We're glad that you're here. Wow. Wow. Very personal. Thank you for Michael Vogel. But yes, but some of the complaints people had in the um, responses to our reviews are, are you okay with how much the lower ranked officers um, violate the rules and uh, violate the, and, and, and kind of uh, talk in insubordinate ways to their superiors? Does this bother you? And certainly in this episode, it was the first time that it hit me like, okay, I can see the criticism because Uhura comes on, to the deck and she's like we need to, you need to stop this right now you're killing people stop it shoot the torpedoes do this do that and pike is like okay cool do your thing i get it i'm, I'm, I'm gonna take the heat for this if it happens so yeah and even when he tells her when she's going looking for ramon by herself following the blood trail he she calls in and kirk i think is the one that says okay wait there for me i'm close i'm just around the corner let me get there and she doesn't wait she goes in solo which we've seen, of course, in Star Trek many, many times. But we, she goes in solo and almost um, causes herself to possibly get blown up there if Kirk hadn't transported them out after Ramon had set the explosive. So do you think this is, is this an issue for you to see them take a little too much initiative in certain moments and in a way, you know, step above Captain Pike, for God's sakes, on his own bridge? What are your thoughts on this? Here's, here's my thoughts. Yeah. Can you see uh, the criticism, I guess? I can see the criticism. Okay here's anyone who knows me as a human being yes um in my time that i spent as an assistant or uh -huh. a lower level executive uh i too did not often obey the chain of command and said whatever i was gonna say you still so, don't and i still and i still don't <laughs> so i understand the criticism i yeah. hear the criticism but given my own personal experience as a human on this starship we call Earth, <laughs> I, I, I would be those lower-ranking officers on a starship. And God hope I have a captain like Pike that's just like, all right, Vogel's going to Vogel. 
He's usually right. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Uh, all right, let's hit some street, uh, some uh, sorry, Easter eggs on this uh, thing just to let you all know the deuterium refinery is basically a part of an actual starship fuel used to create a matter antimatter reaction that powers the basics of the warp drive. For those of you who may not know that, um, we do hear Pike being called the fleet captain. He's in charge of the Enterprise and the Farragut at this uh, particular juncture here in this refinery. And that is a reference to the menagerie. He does get called that in the menagerie. He is called the fleet captain as his um, rank there. Uh, we hear this reference to the Boussard collectors. That is from Ortegas. Uh, notes that refueling is underway. They are the red shiny things at the front of the warp nacelles, which we see in close-up in the episode as well. A great Hammer flashback. Great to see Bruce Horak back. As Hammer, I mean, Mike, that was really sweet. This is like, and it was super uh, sweet, right? On Uhura explaining, I was constantly asking Hammer to do this. He got irritated, so he just showed me one day, and we see the the video of that, which I thought was really awesome to see as well. Um, and there's a sabotage reference, of course, to what Ramon is doing. The way it's pronounced, uh, according to Den of Geek, here it may be a bit of a shot at uh, the way Kirk pronounces sabotage in the original series, where I think is hilarious on so many levels we have astrometrics here which is a, a, a referenced in the show in this episode which is essentially uh, in voyager it's essentially a specific kind of space laboratory on a on a starship seven of nine was a big fan of astrometrics there already mentioning the how we face death is a wrath of Khan reference that's there the uhura family shuttle crash it was mentioned back in season one episode two and we see the footage here for the first time Admiral Nagura is referenced by Pike, which is really interesting. And that's a reference to Star Trek, the motion picture, ladies and gentlemen. Nagura has never been seen on camera, but Kirk mentions that he has to convince Nagura to give him control of the Enterprise again in Star Trek, the motion picture. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, Kirk and Spock meeting for the first time. This is something really interesting and new to have it be in this way. Um, And uh, Kirk and Spock are in an altered timeline, which is how they meet in Quality of Mercy in the finale of season one. So just interesting to see how they're making this all kind of work and 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 um, uh, move around each other to maybe yeah. put them together down the road. So those are the just some of the Easter eggs from this particular uh, episode, which I kind of enjoyed. So wanted to highlight there. Anything to say on those, uh, Mike? No, I mean, look, I think this was an episode that was, aside from the actual meeting of the three of them uh, in this yes. episode, like, uh, all of the Easter eggs are more sort of like the science techie Easter eggs yeah. without, like, being, like, the really hardcore, really fun and go-for-it references as we are about to have as we discuss the next episode. So, yes, uh, yes, I, yes. I thought solid Easter eggs, but uh, some of the Easter eggs in this next episode, whoo, really <laughs> took me for a ride. Yeah, those might be all you. We'll see. We'll see. But this is going to be fun to talk about this next episode for sure. But that is our spoiler review uh, episode uh, uh, for Lost in Translation for episode six, Lost in Translation. We're going to take a quick break right now, and then we're going to jump into episode seven, which might be a slightly longer conversation. We'll see. We'll be back right after this. Oh, and real quick, I do want to give love to Dan Liu, who directed that previous episode, and the writers Onitra Johnson and David Reed did a wonderful job with that uh, episode, Lost in Translation. This episode, episode seven, is what we're diving into now. Those old scientists. Uh, it is directed by Jonathan Frakes here. It's written by Catherine Lin, who had written for Strange New Worlds and Lower Deck. 
and Bill Wolkoff, who was the is the other writer here, who's been with Strange New Worlds since the first season. Michael, who this is an interesting episode for me. There's a reason I don't watch Lower Decks. I tried to watch Lower Decks in that first season. I guess I'm a little bit of a too much of a stick in the mud with my Star Trek that there's just too much humor in Lower Decks for me that doesn't 100% work. So the idea that we were going to get Boimler, Boimler and Mariner here in live action with the wonderful Jack Quaid, the incredibly talented Tawny Newsom, who I loved in Space Force, seeing them come live action here, I was not 100% excited to see this happen. But as the show went along, and we dealt with the Orions, and we dealt with that uh, time portal, and we dealt with uh, Boimler's fandom of everybody on the Enterprise, then Mariner showing up halfway through, really kind of throwing everything up in the air. I did not expect this episode to work. And although at times it got a little close to me being like, stop it, I still enjoyed this overall because it had a very sweet undercurrent of appreciation for the franchise of Star Trek in a meta way as well as a, a, a real way with the characters that we're seeing in the show. What did you think of this episode here of Star Trek season two of Strange New Worlds? Well, I think Lower Decks is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I know. There are people I think, there are people I think Lower Decks is so funny. Yeah. Um, but what, what I love about Lower Decks is they've done a really nice job of, as much as it is just a let's rattle off as many Star Trek in-jokes as we can, um, Mariner and Boimler are great characters. They are very, yeah. very funny. Like, Boimler is like this ultimate fanboy living within the universe of his own fandom. Yes, and then right. And then um, Mariner sort of being this... I'm going to act like I don't care because of my mom and because of everything else, but I'm actually, I actually know a lot and I'm really into shit too. Yeah. Um, and look, and, and I think this, what this reminded me of is years ago when David E. Kelly was running Ally McBeal and the practice oh, yeah. at the same time on like one was on Fox and one was on ABC, but the practice was like very hard, very gritty legal yeah. drama of the week. And Ally McBeal was Ally McBeal. Ally McBeal yeah. was fun, frivolous, each week is a case in court about love and relationships and whatever. Yeah. And they did this sort of crossover thing where there was two episodes, like the, the cast of the practice showed up in Ally McBeal for part one. And then the yeah. cast of Ally McBeal showed up on the practice for the part two of the episode. And you sort of had this thing where when the characters from the practice were on Ally McBeal, they were a little lighter and goofier. Yeah. And then when the yeah. Ally McBeal characters showed up in the world of the practice, things got a little too real for them. And so yeah. it was this really great example of two shows that have completely different tones colliding together. And I think what they did here was so perfect yeah. in the way that, um, you know, Boimler and Mariner show up in Strange New Worlds and just still talking the exact way that they talk and acting the exact way they talk in animation and having these two characters that if everyone else on the show, even in a comedic episode of Strange New Worlds, is at like an eight, the two yeah. of them are at an 11. Yeah. And watching everyone in the Strange New Worlds cast being like, whoa, this is a lot. Like it was, <laughs> it was a delightful episode. It was super silly. It was super fun. It was chock full of Star Trek Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, and within all of that, you actually still had like this really nice arc for Boimler. Like mm -hmm. it was a, uh, that moment where you get to meet your heroes and yeah. all you want to do is impress them and show them how cool you are and everything you do fucks it up. 
And yeah. everything you do is like, oh, nope, mess that up. Nope, mess that up. And then to get to the point where you sort of get to help save the day at the end, yeah. uh, it was just a lovely little arc. And then within that, just like last episode with Kirk and La'an, in this episode, you picked up some of the Chapel and Spock stuff. Yes. And kind of had Boimler drop a bomb on Chapel that was very, very sad. Dude. But uh, as he was just fucking with the timeline left and right. Um, yeah. I also love a Star Trek episode that has a little bit of fun with like, we've seen enough time travel. We all just, you know, saw the flash. We all see the heavier version of you go back in time and you make a mistake or you mention something and it fucks up the timeline. Right. And I love an episode that just had fun with it where every time Boimler opened his mouth, he just couldn't help but drop one thing or another thing that like they probably shouldn't know. And it went from varying degrees to being just silly and ridiculous to really sweet. Like what happened yeah. with number one at the end, um, yeah. you know, yeah, after watching that cool. second episode with Una, where she is fighting to be a member of Starfleet and just yeah. wants to be a member of Starfleet, even though she's had genetic modifications for her to find out that in a hundred years, she is the poster child for Starfleet yeah. recruitment. It, I got a little choked up. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Got, it got me. It got me real good. So I loved it. I thought it was absolutely adorable and hilarious. And I could, I had a big dumb smile on my face for the entire episode. <laughs> well, well, let's deal with the main storyline, right? It's Boimler yeah. and Mariner coming through that portal, coming, you know, appearing in live action from their animated. And we start out on Lower Decks, which I think yeah. is a really interesting way to, I mean, like, listen, that is pushing the boundaries of believability in a Star Wars, Star Trek episode for me uh, starting out in an animated situation the uss cerritos arriving at the planet krulmuth b to check out this krulmuth b portal and boimler's talking about port he loves portals eh? he knows all about these portals and from what i understand of him on lower decks he is a guy who is a fountain of star trek knowledge both useful and useless at times yes depending on the situation yes. so him being jazzed about all of this and then him getting sucked up in this. We hear about the um, the Orion person that they serve with on the ship. Tandy. Tandy, her great-grandmother great or grandmother finding uh, or discovering this portal. And um, Boimler's like, no, it's not true. It was the Federation, blah, blah, blah. And we see that be an arc that uh, comes to fruition by the end of the episode. But they show up here, and you're right. They, uh, Boimler messes with a lot of stuff here. Um, Pike's impending doom is a thing that's hanging over, which we haven't really kind of – talked about a lot in this season it was a big part of last season so to be have it come back be something we revisit here because there's a true reverence that boimler has for pike i mean he dressed for him as him for halloween as we hear about there and we see that he is trying not to make these mistakes or trying to want he thinks pike doesn't know and then he finds out pike and pike and uh, boimler mariner find out that pike does know and we it leads to a beautiful back and forth and i and i kind of liken it to what we just talked about in the in the previous episode with Kirk and Uhura, Kirk telling her you've got to confront death. Here's Boimler saying to Pike, "Look, I get it. You want to go off by yourself because this is the first birthday where you've outlived your father. But there are people who don't you think that just because you just just like you would want another day with your father, um, there are people yeah. here who, when you die, will think that they wish they had one extra time with you or one extra moment with you." You could give that to them in this birthday party. And although it's set up in a funny way with Chapel and um, Ortegas getting the idea from Boimler to throw a surprise party for Pike, what it leads to is a very beautiful interaction here between those two guys. 
And I look, I, and Lower Decks does that. I mean, everyone thinks Lower Decks is all just jokes and jokes and funny, and it, it is all that, but like they did a really good job of doing that thing exactly that you said. It's the same thing that I think Lord and Miller do really well in their movies, oh, yeah. including sure. including course. across the Spider-Verse, which is be funny. Yeah. Go for the joke. Like fuck go go for like being as funny and out there as you can be. Have yeah. Spock smile like a fucking sociopath. <laughs> but then but then all of a sudden hit me with this really emotionally true moment. I think him saying that to Pike was great. I think Peleus saying to Boimler, like, I've known a lot of people and you know, like the, like, like basically fake it till you make it. Act like a hero, act like a hero until you're a hero. Like just, that's all you gotta do. Like there was just some really lovely moments in the episode that that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, they both kind of, you know, they both kind of took something from each other, right? Pike was actually impressed at being revered by Boimler, even though he didn't <laughs> let it go. To He didn't make it overt that he was impressed by it. He was kind of moved by it and honored by it, but also flattered by it as any, you know, any yeah, human being I, would probably be. But yeah. Anson Mount, Anson Mount playing the... I'm liking these compliments more than I should. Yeah. Like, like Pike finding out because Boimler can't keep his mouth shut that yeah. he is still revered a hundred years later. Yeah. <laughs> And even when 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 Mariner's like, oh yeah, he totally dressed up as you for Halloween. He had to do a bunch of stuff with his hair, and you can line. see this and the, the jaw, jaw like had to work the jawline. You see this moment where Anson Mount like smirks, like he's so <laughs> he he loves that he loves that Boimler dressed up as him for Halloween, yeah, but he yeah. instantly covers it to try and be like, no, no, it's fine. I'm I'm, I'm professional. <laughs> like it was, and like everyone in the cast, I was watching a behind the scenes thing, and all of them oh. said like it was so fun having the two of them on set because it gave okay. everyone a permission to just like push it even further, like like to yeah. stay at their level of comedy, even though you're still in your strange new world sort of mode. Yeah. Everyone was just getting to play even a little bit more than they usually do in a really fun way. Yeah, this ep- look the the strange new worlds cast. There's a lot of humor in the first two seasons that we've enjoyed so far. The second yeah. season, first season, a lot of humor. It ain't lower decks humor, but it certainly has humor within it. And, but this, as you said, them showing up, uh, uh, Jack Quaid, them showing up and giving them permission, I thought was a really great thing to enjoy and see here in the back and forth. Yeah, sometimes, like, especially when Mariner shows up, I mean, I was really surprised that Mariner was the funnier one when she showed up and was so irreverent with all of this. I thought she'd be much more respectful in what's going on with Uhura and everything like that. But clearly, no. And so Mariner... Yeah, Mariner is look. I think Boimler is hilarious, and I think Quaid does an amazing job. Boimler is like the heart of the nerdy little heart of Lower Decks. I think Mariner is the funniest. I from episode one of Lower Decks on, Mariner makes me laugh. Someone who is on because like Boimler is the guy that's on the Enterprise and is like, holy shit. Or on any starship, he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Boimler gets into the Federation, and he's like, "Got got to obey the rules, got to impress everybody." <laughs> oh, here comes Riker, got to look good. And Mariner's the one who's like, "Yo, Riker, what's up, my man? Let's do this thing." Yeah. And, and, and it is just like constantly hilarious. So like when even when she first got there, yeah, and is like, "Whoa, did we time travel? We totally time traveled. Are we in the past? Is a horror here? Tell me a horror is here. I want to see a horror." Like that's exactly like that's that's the vibe, and it. I just they, I thought they both nailed it. They they are very the the show is very lucky that and that like I see people talk about this on Twitter, but like yeah. the cast of Lower Decks, they all look a lot like their 
animated characters. That's not always the case. So right. they were really fortunate in the fact that you had two actors who you were like, so if we put them in Starfleet uniforms, like they more or less look like they're animated characters. We can just, we yeah. can just do this. And it worked out great. I think. Yeah. There were moments where it was like, I will say there were moments where it pushed, like when she was talking about young hot Spock or, um, when, um, when, uh, uh, Boimler is reacting to the sparks and he's screaming like something out of a three stooges, uh, episode to me, that got a little much as I was watching it. But like I said, I, I'm a stick it, in the mud and I'm happy to own that, but it didn't take away from the enjoyment of what we were getting here. And the, and the expertise that it took to weave these two differently themed shows, as you mentioned earlier with David E. Kelly to weave these two th differently themed shows so effectively in this episode and our, and look it's the um it's the shortest episode of the season to be able to do it in the way that they did i thought um deserves a lot of praise and um well, love for that yeah and look I, I i get what you're i don't agree with you but i understand sure. if you are not if you're not a lower decks fan and you don't watch lower decks yeah then some of the asides that the two of them have or, you know, Boimler scre screaming like a girl and going like this. Uh, well, yeah, you're like, well, that that seems a lot. But if you're thinking of it in the context of, like, these are two animated characters from an animated universe hmm. in a live action world, like, that is, yeah, that is proper. That is how they would act. And even yeah. uh, Jack Quaid in an interview was saying, because so when you, something you don't think about when you think about animation is, you know, when, when Jack Quaid came in and was doing Boimler, in the voiceover booth, he did some fun stuff, but like when the animators are animating him and they're storyboarding the performance, like Boimler does a lot of things that Quaid doesn't do. There's a way that Boimler runs. There's a way that yeah. Boimler freaks out. There's a way that Boimler moves his arms. So when Quaid knew that he was gonna play Boimler in real life, he went back and watched a lot of the animation to see oh, how yeah. Boimler moved and was like, oh, okay. Even though I've been doing the voice the whole time, let me make sure that I try and do this and this and this. So, and he actually specifically wow. called called out that Sparks moment that yes. you mentioned. And he was like, I wanted to make sure that I did the Boimler scream and kind of reacted the way that animated Boimler would. So it, I totally get if you're, yeah. and I, I'm sure you're not the only one. I think there's a lot of people that watch live action Star Trek that don't watch all of the animated Star Trek stuff. Right. And yeah, it definitely is, they really swung for the fences with this episode. And so yeah. I think if you're a fan of both, it's yeah. like a home run. If you're not necessarily a lower decks one, there's probably moments where you're like, what, what are like, they are just talking a mile a minute and they're this, and then Holy Q. And like, what are they talking yeah, about? The Q like, reference, which was hilarious. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, but like, but I want to hit um, some of the things they also yeah. do with this episode, which is, they further along these overall arcing storylines, just like we talked about in the last episode, uh, you know, early in our review, Michael, we get more with Nurse Chapel. Boimler, as you said, Boimler running down the hallway after Nurse Chapel, very much as Boimler probably runs in the animated yep. series, and then having that conversation with her. And we see, even with all the goofiness going on here, we have this really honest moment where Boimler is saying like, Wait, is it, have I altered Spock in some way? He's not usually like this. I've read every biography. He's a very a stick in the mud kind of guy. Doesn't show his humanity at all or barely at all. And so, what is this all about? And then we see this kind of slowly coming over Nurse Chapel's face, the realization that he is talking about Spock and has read all these books. And he hasn't mentioned her once in those. He hasn't mentioned her once that she's in these books, that she might have influenced Spock in a certain way. And she says, you know, 
I uh, hope I can. I mean, I was foolish to think I could influence him, but uh, and then we see her tear. Like it's not going down her face, but we see her getting emotional. Yeah. And Boiler realizes that, and we take that on. Like, oh man, this is there's a tragic nature to the Chapel Spock relationship here that is eventually in some way going to end between them. And so yeah. having that be reiterated here, even amidst all the goofiness, I thought was really smart mixture of tones as well. Yeah. I mean this, and again, this is what I was talking about. It's taking mm. something that's very funny. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden blindsiding you when you realize what's happening. So like, yeah, like Spock trying to be more human now that he is having some fun with nurse chapel. And like, they're having like the entire relationship going on with the two of them. And he's like, Oh, well now that I'm, living in the moment and just doing what I want to do and really exploring this side of myself, I'm going to try and be more human and it doesn't work great. The smile is creepy. The laugh creepy. is creepy, the um, but, he, but he's yeah. trying. But the fact that Boimler not incorrectly is like, I fucked up. I don't know what I did, but I fucked the timeline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Spock is not supposed to do that. And so then like trying, like, I think I did something because Spock is this and he's this and he's never this. And I know this and da da da, which again, Boimler, you're not supposed to say any of this to somebody 150 years in the past, but, <laughs> right, right. but like you, it's exactly what you said. Like she is putting these pieces together and goes, Oh, we're not going to stay together. Right. Yeah. This is, this is temporary. This is not permanent. He's not my guy. Yeah. And like, that's a, you think of any of us, anybody, when you first meet that person, yeah. you know, we're all looking for love. We're all looking for those relationships. You meet that person. You're super excited. You're at that point in the relationship where it's hot and heavy. And you're like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the one. And yeah. all of a sudden someone from the future is like, oh yeah, no, that's that. <laughs> this guy's going on to do great things. And uh, I don't think that this is it. Um, yeah. I'm not, not that that's exactly what he says, but she puts together those pieces correctly. Yeah. And it's a really heartbreaking thing. You know, we talked at the end of that episode where they finally got together and kissed, like, where is this going to yeah. go? Yeah. How is this relationship going to end up? And the fact that we're just two episodes past it and she's already kind of got confirmation that they don't last. Yeah. It, they're doing some really interesting stuff with it. She's more worried that the relationship is going to end than he is. Right. So he's living in the moment. She's living in a future fear. Yeah. And so it's an interesting combo because she has, you know, it's taken her a bit to admit her feelings and it took that episode for her to finally admit her feelings and what it led yeah. to. Spock is more like rolling with it, right? And even Boimler says, oh, is this a phase? This might be a phase, which really upset unsettles her a little bit. So you see that be a part of this thing. So is she so caught up in focusing on this thing ending at some point that she's not living in the moment to appreciate that it even exists? Yeah. So it's, I like that that's an element of this as well. And connected to that, Mike, you brought this up in the last episode as well. We're doing the review. Laanne, La La we hear her giving the rules to um, Boimler there when he first shows up. And she adds an extra rule, which is yeah. don't form attachments to people because of that. You could affect a loss of family and friends or whatever. And Boimler's like, wait, no, I don't. Is that a new one that they added for back here? And we see that the Kirk stuff is yeah. still very much working there so we Again, see those two relationships just, working through just, here, yeah. the way that they're just peppering it throughout yeah. the season to just keep them alive keep those threads alive yeah. uh while each week is kind of its own like i said this its own genre its own thing is really really well done i will yeah. also say as good as as good as uh jess bush does in the chapel scene in the elevator oh, with boimler so good which is lovely prior to that her uh and uh ortegas yeah yeah in the bar with Boimler fucking with him about time. <laughs> like 
he is so on edge and yeah. they are like did you fuck up the timeline do you tell us this why don't you tell us about this and just poking <laughs> him and the two of so them great. i don't know that yeah. i've ever seen the two of them on this show look like they were having as much fun as they yeah. did yeah. doing that scene and it was just adorable like they it was just so funny because i do think look we've had some amazing time travel movies and yeah. yes stuff like bill and ted's excellent adventure definitely have their fun with time and don't take it too seriously but we've got our terminators like i said the flash did this we have so many like oh don't mess with time and it can really mm -hmm. fuck with things and whatever so just seeing star trek have so much fun with like you know as, even when boimler first wakes up and he's trying to pretend whatever <laughs> and 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 pike is like i don't I don't know what you're trying to do right now, but we already know you're from the future. So you, and he's like, Oh God, thank God. This, I really didn't know what I was going to say there. Like, like we, we figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And also another thing with Boimler is the way he, um, um, jury, uh, jury rigs the, uh, the bridge yeah. there so they can catch the, uh, the Orions and, uh, and, um, pursue them. I think the way they handled that. And you, we talk about time travel stuff. And I meant to mention this a few minutes ago, but Star Trek four, Obviously, a time travel thing going back in time to save the whales. We see the San Francisco reference. Uh, um, uh, 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 Mariner makes a San Francisco reference, which is really funny. So we see that here in the in the episode. And when he is jury rigging that, it reminds me of that scene where Scotty is teaching them about uh, what he's teaching them about, and they're like, "Wait, are you, was he supposed Computer. to?" Uh, yeah computer right, exactly what, what he's supposed to are they supposed well, how do we know that he didn't discover it so i just helped him along to discover it so i like that they did this by having everybody turn around that has that has how they got away with that similar situation which is such a childish cool, like and it, this. this is and this is like just the silly humor it's like hey yeah. don't break the space-time continuum well i know how to do this thing that you haven't learned yet well just turn around yeah just turn around and just not turn around look. just don't look just don't look Great. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, I also yeah. just, as we're talking about really great scenes, because, yeah, I think the Chapel and Spock stuff was great. Yeah. Um, but I think the Mariner, Mariner Uhura stuff was just yes. equally yeah, as lovely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tawny, um, Tawny Newsom talked about the fact that, you know, particularly getting to play a character on Star Trek when she got cast as Lower Decks, like Uhura, yeah. as I think for any black actress, uh, Nichelle Nichols is someone that you nice. grow up thinking, like like she paved the way for so many things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, famously was told to take the Star Trek job from Martin Luther King Jr. So this, so like yeah. Tawny Newsom in an interview was talking about how like Tawny Newsom, the actress, looked up to Nichelle Nichols, the actress. Wow. Mar Beckett Mariner in Lower Decks looks up to Uhura. Right. Then Tawny Newsom, the actress, gets to be playing scenes with uh um, Celia Rose Goodwin, yeah. Celia, yeah, Celia Rose Gooding as Uhura, yeah. giving her advice. Like like the it was like layers upon layers of like how cool is this scene. So to see yeah. sort of um a, a black actress who was the lead in a Star Trek show, in the animated yeah. Star Trek show, coming back and talking to like the o a version of the OG black actress yeah. and having this whole scene about like who she is and like and again because they've established uhura as sort of like this workaholic who can't have any fun mm -hmm. to take mariner who is really good at having fun and yeah. taking her to the lounge and having the drinks and the whole bit like all of that was just i thought it was just really smart fun mm -hmm. writing that was worked within the world of the show but also worked in this meta sense that was just kind of a love letter to nichelle nichols and uhura and everything mm -hmm. Yeah. And add another element to that. It's also furthering 
the character of Uhura as it's constructed in Strange New Worlds, right? Last episode uh, is all about her, like, not taking a break. She's been up for three days, and she might have some poisoning here, but really she's getting these uh, these um, uh, messages and what have you. Now we have another episode where people are are harping on the fact that she is a workaholic. You have someone from the future coming in going, but you're known for being chill and not taking it too seriously and knowing when to relax. That is not the Uhura that she encounters. So how she, so we, we know that there's a future Uhura, even though she's a hardcore workaholic now, we know there's a future Uhura that is not that way and has a little more work-life balance, shall we speak, shall we say. And Kirk might have been the beginning of that by showing her or or uh, inst- yeah. I mean, what pushing her to confront her grief so she can start to let go of these things that are holding her back. So very interesting to see how all of that is kind of weaving in yeah. to lay the groundwork for a little more Uhura as well, fleshing her out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah totally. A hundred percent. I also really enjoyed, I mean, just like good writing, yeah, um, yeah. setting up at the beginning with Tendi, this yes. whole debate about, well, it was, it was the Enterprise that discovered this thing and her being right. like, no, no, no. It was Orion scientists on a science vessel. And he's like, I thought all Orions at that time were pirates. That's offensive. <laughs> and then having this whole thing where Boimler gets to the Enterprise and they're like, oh, it's the it's an Orion ship. They're probably pirates. And he's like, ooh, I'm pretty sure it's a science vessel. And they weren't really a science vessel. And no, that was weren't. the beginning of him fucking things up. But him being like, oh, yeah, in my time, we don't really say that. Like, yeah. that's not what we do. Like, that was all funny. And then just sort of that twist at the end that the solution to everything was we're going to let you guys say that you discovered this and be right. a science vessel and that they were, Oh, that's all we ever wanted to be. This is really great. So like you sort of get like, it's the, maybe the beginnings of the Orions getting to like be more than what people saw them at. Like it was just yeah. very well done. And then they get back and they're like, Hey, Tendi, it was, it was a science vessel. Like it was just, it was just, again, it was like a nice little, like, here's this piece of this puzzle, just putting it through the episode. And yeah. it worked really, really nicely. Well, let me ask you about the enterprise references. I know that's not a show that either one of us uh, looks back on with much reverence. Uh, even though I think at the time we knew someone who was a, you knew that person more than I did, who was an, a main actor on the show, yeah, yeah. but. The uh, references the uh, to the Enterprise here are all over the how they solve this situation through Boimler and his knowledge of the NX-01. We hear about grapplers, which Lon loves, and those were the early things before they had tractor beams. Travis Mayweather is referenced by Ortegas. Uh, he was apparently the name of the middle school. It was named after him and that she was a huge fan of him. And we hear about Hoshi Sato, which, uh, Sato, yeah. which Uhura is a fan of and wrote three papers of. And he was the communications officer, or there was a communications officer on the Enterprise who invented the universal translator. So very interesting stuff to reference Enterprise, the first Enterprise here, which is a show that doesn't get the same kind of love that other shows do. So did you think this was a way of, again, is this an episode like an overall meta love letter to the Star Trek franchise in this way? I mean, Lower Decks is just a meta love letter to Star Trek. So the fact that this one had a little bit, this episode of Strange New Worlds had a a little bit more of that in there was really cute to me. Mm -hmm. But I also, like, it made sense. Like, the NX-01, the the very first Enterprise, uh, is about as far away from the Strange New Worlds cast 
as the Cerritos is to the Enterprise. Right. So right. the fact that you've got Boimler and Mariner running around the Enterprise like kids in a museum freaking out about everything. Yeah. And then you get the Strange New World crew kind of being like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I always love this. And oh, my God, if I could have seen this. It, it was just a nice connective moment where they were like, oh, my God, are we sounding like them now? Yeah, like we are. And it was because they not only is it people freaking out about their history and what they really enjoyed, right. but they started to talk a little bit like the Lower Decks crew. Like, you know, like it was like it, yeah. it was written more like Lower Decks than Enterprise in that one little bit. So when yeah. they're saying, are we starting to sound like them? It worked within that body of the episode, but in a meta sense, it also made sense. And then I just yeah. loved that in addition to those mentions, um, the whole idea of like the Heronium that they needed to yeah. travel back home, the idea that the original Enterprise had built that and that there was this tradition that every piece of the ship has a piece of it. So they just had yeah. to find the nice little, nice little uh, Easter egg hunt, literally within yeah. the ship to find the piece that was the solution. So very smart. Yeah. Um, and the fact that like that's Boimler and, uh, and, and Mariner knew it actually Mariner knew that one. Cause that's the one yeah. part she paid attention to in the museum. So <laughs> it worked really, really nice. So, but in addition to that, um, some of the other Easter eggs yeah. that really that's just, yeah. got, I mean, first of all, the fact that the entire opening credits was animated. Yes. What a nice um, surprise. Yeah. Very, very funny with a nod to the koala uh, with the idea from Lower Decks that there's a koala controlling the universe. So it's kind of there in the main titles. Plus the same alien that's on the Cerritos in the Lower Decks opening is in on the Enterprise in the Stranger Worlds opening. Um, my favorite moment maybe in the entire episode mm. is when Boimler is gets on Pike's saddle Yes, and is riding Pike's saddle and fully pulls the Riker. He and calls, calls it. it. He says it. He says, and he doesn't say the Riker. He just goes Riker, Riker. and does the leg. And uh, again, I was watching a behind the scenes thing, uh. and that was that was improv. Oh, uh, Quaid just did it, and because Jonathan Frakes was directing the episode, he did it in front of Jonathan Frakes, and Frakes was like, "Yep." We're keeping that. <laughs> um, so yeah. that that was a really, really great one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Boimler going on and about the tricorders and how he was so into that tricorder. Yeah. Mabenga's comic timing when he was like, oh, yeah, nothing's better than those. I mean, ours don't explode as much. And he was like, what? <laughs> explode? Um, the time travel thing you mentioned actually is not, I thought it was a Star Trek four reference and I found out it is not, um, when Mariner comes back and she's like, uh, that she was worried that Boimler went back in time and found himself stuck in a dystopian San Francisco in the middle of a riot yeah. is actually a deep space nine reference. Oh, I thought um, it was where Cisco Dax okay. and Bashir went back to the 21st century oh. San Francisco and became part of the bell riots. Um, so that oh. was it. And also the okay. also the meta moment when when um when Mariner says that to Boimler yeah. and she's like stuck in San Francisco in the middle of a riot and Una looks at Pike and goes, do they make very specific references? <laughs> Which they do. Like that's what Lower Decks does. So I thought that was really really cute. Um, the I fact mean, they that made Boim a reference to Pike's, like they made a reference to where Pike ends up in the menagerie. Even the beep, they were like. You yeah, know about the like Mar Mariner did the whole design real quick, and it was like, holy shit, don't do that. It was oh cute. yeah. Uh, yeah. well, I actually we I, we didn't really touch on the moment. I want to come back yeah. to that moment, but then yeah, the holy Q line. Oh yeah. Uh, the holy Q line followed by Mariner saying, "Don't say that. They haven't met him yet. Like that's not like it was just and and like they they did that. Lower decks has like 
35 Easter eggs per second sometimes in the way that they're talking and the way that they're just dropping references. And so the fact that they kept that was really good. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the biggest kind of character Easter eggs that really is essential to where the show is going is the fact that Boimler really wants Pike to celebrate his birthday because he knows he doesn't have that many left. Yeah. And kind of like tries to talk around it and Pike being like, hey, I know what you're talking about and that's actually not what my issue is and then goes into all the great stuff about his dad yeah. but just them being so oh he knows about how does he know like did we fuck this up like i don't know um yeah and and yeah and then like i said i think that the the whole joke of una number one being like he keeps looking at me like i'm crazy i think he hates me i don't know what's going on yeah. and then mariner being like oh he has a pinup of you in his bunk and she's like like a pinup pinup and she's like well it's it's pinned up right. yes and her thinking it's one thing and like i said just given the second episode which we both love so much una finding out that she is the poster yeah. child for starfleet yeah. is a really cool easter egg but also just like so sweet yes like yes. it's just incredibly touching yeah. and even rebecca romaine kind of being like um well given the laws of breaking the time space continuum, you really should not have told me that, but also thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Um, and then the one final Easter egg, when you get to uh, the end of the episode, um, when commander ransom comes in and sees commander Una on the wall and calls her uh numera Una hottie, hottest first officer in Starfleet history. Um, it's okay that he says that because he's voiced by Jerry O'Connell. So he's just talking about his wife. Yeah, exactly. And I love that Boimler doesn't put the hand all the way up. <laughs> like it isn't like, yeah, that's right. She is. He's more like, Oh fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I think that they did just like, they did write by strange new worlds because they really yeah. did move a lot of the storylines that we've been watching this season forward. Agreed. And they did really write by lower decks because this is exactly how Boimler and Mariner would act Yeah. on the enterprise. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw a couple more of these Easter eggs in here, uh, Mike. I, I know we're always we're already already over thirty five minutes on this. Uh, I was trying to keep us to half an hour with each I told episode, you. but we are, I told I you we'd have more to talk about. Uh, Aronium is a new um, uh, established substance; has not been in Star Trek before, so that's something to hold on to and see where that leads. The camera that Rutherford uses, which is a holographic camera, that was used by the Doctor in Voyager. So that's the thing there. The Starship History Museum is referenced, which is a Picard season three thing that we discovered um, yep. as well. Remember Me is a reference to a, a Next Generation episode with Dr. Crusher is sucked in the vortex in a similar way and says that. Um, let's see. Grain, grain, the grain uh, to Setlick 2, uh, that is a reference here to more troubles, more tribbles, more troubles. That's a reference to that. So there's, there's that in, in terms of a, a connection there. As well, Worf's honor. That's a phrase oh that apparently is said during Lord. Is that please, in Lord Dex? Or is please that don't say, please. That is just exactly the type of thing that's in. It's not, it's the type of thing that's in Lower Dex. Like, okay, I don't tell us anything about the future. We don't want to know anything. Worf's honor. Fuck. <laughs> it was so, so great to see that. The NCC 1701, nothing after it. Like, deciding what would come after it. I don't know. I, that was. A nice little inside uh, thing as well. Spock's pet Salat was referenced in this as well, which is a large Vulcan creature that is a teddy bear with fangs. So we see that being mentioned here as well. The ranks on the sleeves thing, which Mariner points out. I thought that was really funny. Her saying, I don't know if I like that at all. Um, and this idea with the Q stuff is interesting too, because 
This she says they've got a Trelane thing going on, which is a reference to the original series. Trelane was a very Q like alien from the original series in the Squire of Gothos episode. Yeah, and it may be that this is the first confirmation that there is a connection between Q and that episode and that Trelane uh, uh, thing that was going on there. So it may, I think they're saying that it's the first connective tissue that we've seen. They People are it's, speculated that, but and it's, it's also really such funny. a great throwaway line. Like that's yes. so like, that's what I'm talking about with lower decks. So if like, clearly I'm telling you all, you should go watch lower decks, but the clearly, way that they yes. do these throwaway lines where you're like, that's a double Easter egg in one sentence. It's like, yeah. Ooh, ho- you know, Holy cute. Ooh, don't say that. They haven't met him yet. They got more like a tree lane thing going on. Like that yeah. is a, yeah. That is a stacked Easter egg line yeah. all by itself and just expertly delivered and perfectly written. So yep. kudos. Yeah, I agree. Two or three more. Uhura studying Bajoran and Cardassian languages. Uh, neither of those planets are part of the Federation at this point. So why is she studying them? What is this? What is the reference to the movie? We may be seeing down the road. What? She's the Hermione Granger of the Enterprise. <laughs> she's an overachiever. That's true. Erica Ortegas mentions fighting in the Klingon war again. So are we leading to something with that? Is that another kind of reference to, that is going to be something that comes up for her? And Pelia giving that advice to Boimler when she says, I, she says, I always pretended to be someone I wanted to be and until finally I became that someone or he became me. That is a quote from Cary Grant. And that's him talking about how he became this uh, actor that everyone revered and looked at as handsome guy when in, fact the majority of the I, time and he has said this in numerous interviews he felt like a failure even though i'm so glad I'm, so i knew i knew the way that she said it it yeah. was a clear reference she's like i met this guy yeah uh a while back or whatever she says and he yes. said this i'm like well this is obviously a reference to something so now i'm glad i know so thank you see well, even i learned stuff on these spoiler reviews there you go well i wonder if pelia has a previous like episode adventure rather where she met the real carrie grant in a timeline or in a time travel situation. And if that is well, something that's going to happen down the road, she didn't, she doesn't need scene. to, she doesn't need the time travel. She's thousands of years old. Well, the fair point, fair point. I mean, the, the show drive. Yes. yes. I hear what you're saying. So very interesting stuff. So yeah, this it, overall, I did enjoy the episode at times. The humor as an old fuddy duddy, it did bother me at times, but overall the spirit here was really great. And the weaving this- together of both of the um, tones of both of those shows very difficult to do, and I thought the uh, the writers here, Catherine Lynn and Bill Wolkoff, knocked it out of the park with Frank's fantastic direction, of course, as well. Mike, uh, this is the top up? episode of the season for me. It's up wow. there. It's up there near the top. I loved it. I'm gonna watch it again. I'm talking about it right now. Got me stoked. I'm gonna watch it again later today. <laughs> there you go. And maybe I'll give Lower Decks a shot. Maybe just maybe, you got, maybe, you got, maybe. It, it it'll take you a few episodes. Like okay. it comes on strong, and like any show, the first couple episodes of the season, it's still finding its footing. But you get about okay. uh, a third to halfway through that first season, and you start to like, okay, I get what they're doing here. I get what this is, mm. and it is just like I said, it is so full of Star Trek Easter eggs okay. and just funny weird shit. And like I said, to me. I love Boimler, but Mariner is my MVP of the show. I, I Mariner, my Mariner goes up the list every season of like, are you one of my favorite Star Trek characters? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that because I, I love Tawny Newsom. I think she's funny as hell. I've got a secret crush on her as well, and I she's always funny whenever she shows up in anything live action or animated. She's always really really funny, and not someone who's full on blow up blown up yet. But I I'm waiting for the day that she does because. She is some, she's an incredibly funny comedic talent 
and it does some nice dramatic moments when called upon as well. So hopefully there's more for Jack's already set up with the boys and what have you, but I want to see more for Tawny down the road for sure. Um, all right, well, there you go. That's our spoiler review of both episodes six and seven of uh, season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We will obviously be back later on in the week uh, to review the, mo- the uh, next episode that's going to come out this week, but we wanted to jump on this one for today and have fun reviewing it. Uh, thanks for joining us. Michael, any final words here as we wrap up? And what do we have uh, to no. tell them? Well, for final final words are, I mean, I think it's no shock, but uh, we are thoroughly enjoying season two of Strange yeah. New Worlds, and we hope that you are too. Uh, we hope that our reviews are helping you to uh, dive a little deeper into the show and what is working about it. But definitely, if you're not loving it, we want to know that too. So first of all, if you would like to follow us, you can do so on Twitter at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. You can follow Mr. Roca at the Roca Says. You can follow me at MKToon. Uh, definitely smash that like button below. So Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below in the chat. What do you think of Strange New World Season 2? If you are listening to us on a podcast, leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. And uh, thank you all so much. We appreciate it madly. Look forward to reading your comments, and we'll talk to you next time with a brand new spoiler review episode of Strange New World Season 2. We hear from the Geek Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.